The deadline for WARC Awards for Effectiveness 2024 is fast approaching. You have until 6 February to enter your campaigns for our celebration of strategic brilliance and effective impact. With 12 categories and five new regions, this is our biggest award show yet. And the great news is that you just need to enter once for the chance to win in your region and be in line for the Global Grand Prix announced during Can Lions Week. I'm Rika Facundo, WARC's APAC editor, and I'm here to encourage you to head straight to WARC.com and submit your entry by the final deadline of February 6. This is your chance to win a Global WARC Grand Prix and truly claim your campaign is one of the most effective in the world. The WARC Awards 2024, Strategic Brilliance, Effective Impact. It's the award show you've been waiting for. Hello and welcome to the Warp Podcast. My name's David Tiltman and this week we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to be summarizing some of the biggest talking points in marketing effectiveness uh, that we've seen in across the Warp team over the past year. And today to kick off the series, we're going to be looking at the year in strategy. We'll be talking about some of the trends and ideas that has shaped some of the sort of thinking in the strategy world over the last 12 months. Uh, and we'll be looking at a call for strategy to become more revolutionary, uh, why marketers need to banish generational marketing, and why the rise of niche communities and subcultures are becoming a key opportunity for strategists. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Lena Rowland, Head of Content for Walk Strategy, uh, who's really been sort of keeping an eye on all of this stuff over the past year. Now, Lena, um, I've asked you to to come with sort of three big talking points. Um, but I guess before we dive into those, what's been your take on your sort of top line take of the year in strategy? Thanks, David. It's great to be here. Well, first up, there has been uh, less interest in the metaverse, crypto and NFTs, which frankly is no bad thing. Uh, instead, we're seeing a lot more interest in, interest in Gen AI as strategists are trying to figure out how they can best use Gen AI tools in their work. And that really came through in our sort of future strategy research uh, a few months ago, didn't it? Which we, which we launched uh, uh, Stratfest uh, with the forays in New York. There was there was a definite shift uh, towards generative AI. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and it's completely understandable. Um, another key uh, focus area remains attention. As attention continues to fragment, marketers want to know how to optimize it, how it works on different channels and platforms, and how to measure it. So we've published lots of new research about attention this year, and of course, lots more to come in 2024. And David, I don't know about you, but I sense that there's been less focus on purpose this year. Perhaps we're finally reaching the post-purpose era, as marketers think more holistically about how brands show up for people and planet over the long term yeah definitely and that's uh we go into that in some detail in in one of our other podcasts this year on the year in creative effectiveness so um so yes lots to talk about about purpose but we'll do that on a different podcast um let's focus on some of the big uh i guess big talking points we've had within particularly within our strategy pillar over the past year so so what's your first sort of big takeaway 
So the first thing we're going to talk about today is uh, an idea that was shared at the Cannes Festival uh, back in June this year. Strategist Martin Weigel, Paula Bloodworth and Rob Campbell took to the stage and boldly declared that strategy is constipated and what is needed is more imagination. Now, this really went down a storm and really touched a nerve, which is why we also covered this theme in this year's Future of Strategy report. Yeah, this was one of the my provocatively named uh, sessions at, at Cannes this year. And, and you're right, it went down an absolute storm. I was I was in the room at the front row and uh this was this was a real highlight of uh of Cannes. Um now they say strategy is constipated, imagination is the laxative. Uh lovely image. Um even <laughs> in a, a, like a audio uh, uh format such as this. Um what do they mean when they say that strategy is constipated? Yeah, look, we know strategies love a good framework and they certainly play an important role. Um, but Weigel, Bloodworth and Campbell argue that an over-reliance on frameworks and process-driven work is hindering strategy, rendering it in a state of conformity, which often leads to safe and, dare I say, bland work. Their argument is that frameworks and processes are unlikely to take a brand to the big, game-changing and category-defying ideas that, that we want to see. So let's listen to what Martin Weigel had to say when he was uh, speaking at Cannes earlier this year. Here he talks about the state of strategy today and why imagination is so important. I think we are in danger or, or have in some quarters forgotten how strategy works. I think we've been suckered into thinking that it works forwards incrementally building, you know, accumulating evidence and turning it into insight and putting it into the creative process. And blah, 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 blah. I think I think most people, a lot of too many of us, labour under the belief that that's how strategy works, that it's a, it's a fluffing service to other people's imaginations or, you know, it's a supplier of disposable insight. When it, it doesn't work for us, and Stephen King in 1975 fucking wrote about that, it, it works from the future back. It goes, where do I want to be? What's the more desirable future I want to create? And then goes, and how do I make that real? It doesn't work forwards. It works. It works backwards. If you work forwards, you'll only find yourself pushing the peanut forwards and you'll solve, you'll solve small problems. You'll never solve big problems and you'll never seize big opportunities because you'll only look in at what's directly in front of you or what the research says you have permission to do. The strategy is fundamentally works backwards. Yeah, it's great to hear that. Again, it really brings back the memory of the talk. Um, now, what I thought was really interesting here is you've sort of got two views of strategy. You've got strategy as sort of, um, you know, incremental as 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 finding opportunities for the next step for identifying the next best step i guess and then you've got strategy as this sort of revolutionary uh you know pointing a company in a particular direction or choosing where we're going to sort of play and obviously the the latter sounds much more interesting um but the the argument they make of course is that we've become obsessed with the former and obsessed with you know gradual improvements gradual uh incremental growth rather than sort of uh that that sort of very ambitious view of strategy how how do we start to move towards that that more ambitious 
well, that more ambitious ambition, I guess, that, that, that sort of more imaginative form of strategy. What do they have to say about that? Strive for more than taking the incremental steps, but actually instead take big imaginative leaps into the future, uh, into, into where into where but spaces where your brand could play in a really exciting way uh, and, and, and then work back from there. Yeah, and they talked about, you know, taking inspiration from the way the writing team on Succession, the, the TV series Succession had worked, where the, the way they sort of tried to develop the plots and character arcs was to, to to try and find the most interesting space that character could get, could end up and then work back. And I guess that's what they're kind of arguing was, where what's the end point what's the how do we get imaginative about the end point and then work out uh, uh how we get get back to it exactly it's a really interesting uh way to think about strategy and another really important um way to embed more imagination and 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 revolution is 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 to meet people it's to um spend time in subcultures and um really particularly subcultures that are in and around your category because this is where culture is bubbling up and and new routes to growth are emerging so so what are some examples they give i mean just to just to sort of uh, i mean there were hundreds of them in the deck but uh, yeah. what what sort of things were they pointing to yeah, there's, there was quite a few, which was great. And Walk subscribers can hear all about them on the recording on the site. But um, they mentioned brands like Mr. Beast, who, who's um, broken category norms and basically reimagined the fast food category. And Paula Bloodworth talked about beauty brands like Fenty and Gentle Monster, as well as the uh, Timpsons, the, the UK key cutter. All of these brands are, to quote Paula, leapfrogging the logic process and they're taking their brands to some exciting spaces. I think a lot of this is about defying category norms. So I suppose Liquid Death, the water brand, is, is pretty revolutionary. But it's also about imagining the future. They they mention a company called Fallback uh, and uh, uh, that company says it makes clothing of the future using materials built to last 100 years. So that's that's pretty radical. Now, this theme uh, ran, you know, beyond this particular talk. I mean, this talk was a sort of uh, definitely a, a big moment, but the um, there was more to it than that. When we released the Future Strategy Research uh, back in September, um, the idea of strategic bravery or, or imagination was quite a strong theme within that, wasn't it? So just just say quickly what, what we found there. Yeah, exactly. It was it was really interesting actually because what we found in that in that report was that there's actually a strategic bravery gap. Respondents said that their organizations uh, encourage them to um make brave strategic decisions. However, their clients were a, a little bit more um conservative and uh, averse and risk averse. So, um there's a there's a question here around uh, needing uh, permission to to be brave and permission to take those big leaps. And I guess the conserv- conservative approach is understandable given budgets are squeezed and all of that. But at the same time, that comes at a cost of taking those big big leaps that actually uh, lead to the game changing ideas. That's a sort of paradox here, isn't it? Is is you know the the desire to uh to play in a bigger space but actually you know are we 
is, is strategy as a as a discipline being sort of hindered by the the structures around it and the permission it has to actually make those changes so lots lots more to play out in the next next year i'm sure i'm sure we haven't finished with this particular theme Okay, Lena, so what's the next big theme uh, you want to talk about from this year's strategy outputs? Well, as well as a strategy revolution, there are also calls for a research revolution. Now, this theme also featured in the Future Strategy Report. Richard Huntington, CSO at Saatchi and Saatchi, says current research practices leave marketers far removed from the lives of the people they're meant to understand and reach. Okay, uh, that sounds interesting. Tell me more. Well, in Richard's view, marketers operate in an alternate reality, what he calls somewhat jokingly, but, but not, marketing land. He's calling for the marketing reality movement, a movement that better represents and serves the real needs of real people. We've just talked about going out and talking to people in the in the last section, and, and this was a big, uh, big part of it, wasn't it? And, and Richard identified sort of three ways to... Uh, or, or three ways marketers build alternate realities without sort of access to to real people. So just talk through those. That's right. So so first on his hit list is what he's calling narcissism. Basically, marketers spend far too much time asking people about their brand and the competition, but fail to ask people about themselves and what's going on in their lives. To quote Huntington, narcissism has made sure we never really inquire what is going on in real people's lives. Next up, he takes issue with segmentation. He sees this as yet another way aspirational marketers abstract and neatly package reality. Essentially, segmentation in Richard's view has lost its way. It's become far too complex and overused and too category specific. What's more, the personas used in segmentation studies all too often demean and belittle people. Lastly, he is real beef with generational marketing, so things like Gen Z and millennials. He's really passionate about this, so enough from me. Let's hear what Richard has to say about this. We have lost any grip of reality, and I'm going to push this a bit further because I, I think fundamentally what marketers did was in pursuit of uh, of a higher calling, wanted to legitimise purpose-driven marketing, so invented audiences which they could then suggest to their organisations existed and needed to be served, and therefore they could feel much better about their jobs uh, than simply getting on uh, and serving ordinary people in ordinary ways. So, so, and I make more of a case, I'm sorry, this is a bit of a ramble, but I make a more of a case about hating generational marketing because I think it's the biggest thing we need to unpick um, in, in our industry. But I, but I also have a problem with segmentation and I think we've just got to be less narcissistic about the way we do research. End of rant. So what's the answer here? What, what, how, do we, how do we get through this? So Richard calls for a chunky portion of the budget to be allocated to research that is focused on understanding people's lives. This means using vast data sets. It also means talking to people in depth, sometimes in their homes and at length about how they're really feeling about the state of the economy and how long it's going to take them to retire, that kind of thing. Now, I, I guess this kind of sounds... Uh, you know, it sounds a little bit obvious. Go out and meet people, and get out there, and 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 don't just do desk research. Um, but there was a sort of important build here from uh, someone called Ian Murray, who is part of an organisation called Burst Your Bubble, who 
is is set up you know whose whose whole uh, mission is to uh, reconnect marketers with real people so what what did he have to say that's right now he made the point that marketers shouldn't treat um getting out there uh and meeting real people as a as a a kind of like um an otherworldly uh, like we're visiting a desert island and these people it's like are a far safari, removed. isn't it? It's like a, yeah, exactly. It's like I think that's the got word a real he, people safari. <laughs> that's the word he used. Um, you know, uh, real life is all around us. Now, I don't think Richard was implying that. He, he I think Richard's very aware real life is around us. But I, I think um, uh, Ian was was at pains to to kind of make that point, and it, and it is and it is a good a good build. Okay, let's move on to the third theme then from our work in 2023, which is really around uh, culture. And in Cannes, we ran a session called Is Popular Culture Dead? Uh, it was very well, another very well attended session. Has some really interesting commentary in this. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yes, another great topic and title um, and a really, uh, as you say, well-attended session. Um, it was with Dr. Marcus Collins, a professor of marketing, and Ellie Bamford, who's CSO at Wonderman Thompson. Basically, the point here is, as the monoculture shrinks, niche cultures and subcultures are becoming more important. Because what starts on the fringes often ends up being the next big thing. So gaming or anime are two obvious examples here. But also, niche does not mean small. There are many big and thriving communities, as we know, in places like TikTok, Fortnite and Reddit. For Ellie, subcultures are, and I quote, your small ticket to creating big brand moments. This was such an interesting talk. And that whole idea that small is now big uh, was really interesting. And I think, I think what was also interesting was the way they, they compared how many actual people viewed sort of big cultural moments over the years and comparing the sort of audience for yeah. like the last episode of Cheers with the audience for Succession and you know no spoilers but the the, the audience for Succession is actually tiny in uh, yeah. in absolute absolute media terms but it's it's impact culturally is clearly uh clearly very strong particularly among certain groups um and yeah, and playing with that idea of small is big, and how do you create a big brand moment from a from a particular community, is is super interesting. Um, Marcus had more to say about this as well, didn't he? So tell us tell us a little bit more about this. That's right, he does. Uh, now he is a great orator, so let's hear from the man himself. But it starts with the subcultural. And because of the fragmented world in which we live in, the hyper-connected fragmented world in which we live in, the way in which we achieve popular culture changes. And what we know of the evolution of brand is that what once was a legal mark has transcended to a trust mark that has moved on to a love mark, Asachi Asachi once put it. To today, the most powerful brands are used as identity marks, but the brands of the future will be community marks. They'll be tribal marks. Marks that we use to demarcate that we are a part of a thing, that I am one of you, that you are one of us. And the brands that operate here, those will be the ones that win. Those will be the ones that propagate through the population. As you say, Marcus is a, a really impressive orator, but we, we asked both Marcus and Ellie to sort of to, to move it into the realms of the practical as well. So what can, what can we actually do or what does this mean for 
for building brand fame uh, or, uh, you know, other brand metrics at scale today? Well, I suppose the first point is to make is that there are still mass reach appointments view moments, such as the big sporting events like the Olympics that are coming next year and FIFA World Cup. And of course, the Super Bowl in the US or even the Eurovision Song Contest is actually getting some major major uh, reach right now and of course this year we've seen the global bars around the barbie movie and the taylor swift eras tour so these big uh, moments that bring people together around uh, a common passion point are still there but obviously they are fewer and far between now Um, so brands uh, they clearly need to learn how to engage communities yeah, and it's about stitching together those sort of communities of interest and, and, and exactly. balancing the mass with the with the niche. And of course, that's easier said than done. So any advice on, on getting this right? Yes. Fortunately, Ellie shared some rules for cultural engagement first. Um, she sort of goes without saying, but be additive, not subtractive. So make sure you're adding value. Um, brands should also scrutinize how they activate, for example, choose influencers and media buys wisely and align values, make sure values match actions. Similarly, if a brand engages communities via a social or political cause, don't back down when things get tricky, commit for the long term or just just don't go there. Uh, And lastly, embrace subcultures. They are the new routes to growth. Yeah, and and just to put it in a bit of context, I guess this was this was a talk in Cannes, so quite soon after we'd had the sort of Bud Light incident in the US, the 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 um, controversy around Target as well in the US. So, so it's not a one way street here. It's it's something brands need to be mindful of and choose wisely. And and if they're going to commit, then commit. Exactly. Um. Great. Okay. I mean, look some three really big themes uh there um but clearly we've published a lot more than that is there anything we've missed anything else you want to sort of highlight from from the year in strategy i do actually i I want to quickly mention some research again this is this was presented in Cannes. um the fantastic trio that is lesbonet grace kite uh dr grace kite and tom roach presented new research that showcases digital advertising's brand building capabilities. Um, so their presentation was quite um, a positive and optimistic one. Um, and actually, it kind of moves the conversation um, towards digital advertising. It doesn't have to be seen as solely about direct response or short-term sales, but actually it, it has a role to play in brand building. Yeah, and they call this the third age of effectiveness, didn't they? Which um, uh, Which is a really... Uh, you know, I think part of the challenge there is defining what the first two ages were. But we're, if we're in the third age of effectiveness, um, this is where digital stops being sort of the performance bit of the ad ecosystem uh, and starts being seen quite seriously as a as as well brand and performance. Um, t- talk to us a little bit about what they what they argued because I think. Um, I think in some ways it's a it's a positive message because it it is about us learning more about what actually works and what doesn't work, uh, and and starting to get better measurement in place to to allow us to make those calls. 
Exactly. Look, we're 10 years in now, so the realm of digital marketing is much better understood, thankfully. And um, MMM analysis shows that it is beginning to present an opportunity for greater returns. Um, So that is really um, a positive message. Um, But also um, there was a practical element to the presentation as well because we had Tom Roach um, from from Jellyfish um, looking at – how creative strategies are used uh, to build brands on platforms. And actually what was interesting is that uh, some of the tried and tested um, strategies such as using emotion and distinctive assets, et cetera, um, uh, they still work, which is which is really good news. Um, but also uh, what's really important is having a really good understanding of um, what each platform can do for the brand's um, marketing activity. Um, I think he spoke about um, being more native, so really getting to know, getting to know your um, platform and, and what it can do for your brand. Overall, um, his message was creating bespoke content for each platform is important, um, but emotion uh, and all of that good stuff um, remains equally important. Yeah, and this is so important because as we've as Walk Media found this year, uh, more than half of advertising investment now goes into just five companies. So we are living in a we are living in a platform dominated world, and uh, I think what this talk started to do. I mean, again, it sounds sort of obvious, but you know, it's worth sort of articulating that the platforms are very different beasts. They're kind of like media channels in their own right. And Mm. the idea that you have a digital advertising approach, it sort of doesn't really make sense when half your, more than half your budget goes on digital and that's split across some really sort of fundamentally different properties. So um, I think the positive in there was was that a lot of this sort of the, the tried and trusted, the the basics, the foundational approaches to effectiveness still still carry through, but it's about try, having to reinterpret those for uh, you know the dynamics of each platform. Yeah, and look, we're going to be looking uh, at this in a lot more detail in 2024. So stay tuned. Great, thank you, Lena. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. So look, we've we've covered quite a lot in there. Uh, obviously, Walk subscribers have access to all the sort of reports we've been talking about, the uh, the sort of presentations in Cannes, the Future of Strategy report, uh, and much else besides. Um, so do dive into that if you are uh, a Walk member. Um, that's all for this episode of the walk podcast if you like what you've heard then please do subscribe to the walk podcast on your podcasting platform of choice and if you really like what you've heard then leave us a review until next time thanks for listening